Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about finding the most convoluted way possible to prep a campaign. Back in my day, you ran modules and you liked it. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. And today we're going to be talking about tracking plot lines, using clocks inappropriately, and taking consequences to reduce your story stress. Do we have anything to add from the last time? Um, In terms of banter and bookkeeping? Yeah. Uh, so we will both be at Dreamation. Yeah. On Saturday and Sunday, which is February... I think the 24th? 23rd and 24th? No, 24th and 25th. Yeah. So we'll be there. Uh, my intention is... I've signed up to run Pasión de las Pasiones twice. I will probably be trying to find other times to run it and just hanging out and seeing people and hanging and all that kind of stuff. I'm taking this one a little bit easier than other times. Yeah, my plan was to sign up for one or two uh, two games and do the same thing. Um, maybe we can actually record there this time. Oh my gosh, um, I'd love to. It's, I would. I think we've talked about trying to get a, a um, party and city recording done. I might be trying to record with Jeff uh, for finally getting my ass on party of one. Oh, amazing. Um, so, uh, that's, that, we'll see how that plays out. Additionally, uh, I think, uh, I recently saw on the Magpie Games website that Pasión de las Pasiones' Ashcan is back in stock. So if you've been wanting that physical copy, you can go get it. Oh, sweet. I gotta do that. <laughs> I'm really excited. See, I hopped on in order to link it to somebody, and then I was like, oh, it's actually there. Yes. Nice, so I'm excited. Nice. Yeah, and speaking of, uh, of and just as a, a rem- that reminded me, um, but we got a lot of great feedback from all the games uh, that people made for our game jam, um, uh, because they kind of got it onto the public last as of the two weeks ago, and people started uh, other than us started reading them, and and uh, it seems like everybody else loves them all as much as we do, so that was fun. Yeah, that was a really fun experience to have, and I think we'll definitely be doing more of those in the future. So keep it. Yeah, I gotta find. I gotta find the right way to collect them all into something that I can easily distribute. But uh, yeah, but look for that in the future. I, I will follow through with that promise. And oh my gosh, we got our business done in like less than five minutes. So we can dive right into the game, not the game, <laughs> the yeah. content, the, the podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah, all right. Some would call it that. So, so I think we're. Actually, actually, a really good into this is so here is kind of the story of how I stumbled onto wanting to talk about this topic, okay. which is that we took a week off for um, or we t- yeah, for well, we took we took a week off uh, for the holidays, which meant for for this podcast, which is every other week, we took like four weeks off. Three weeks um, off. Or three weeks off. But um, in that time period, you released, or you recorded and we released on the Party and City feed um, a little bit of a behind-the-scenes thing uh, where people asked you some questions. Yeah. And I wanted to try to follow up on one of those questions because you were talking about how you track uh, threats and storylines and sort of like the things that move around behind the scenes in our now uh, multi-part uh, actual play podcast <laughs> and yeah it's kind of how i prep things in general um past the first session so uh i had a fun time talking about it they're a little bit there but i think we can go a little bit more in depth and really sort of tackle this idea of 
how to of different ways that people can prep and take ideas from different games to use for their prepping. Yeah, and I think there's a and, and so like one of the things that 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 like was interesting is that you're basically using a mechanic that is designed for something else that you've yeah. sort of co-opted to do this, which is hacking game mechanics to do things that you need, which is like what this podcast is about. And it got me thinking about other mechanics that I could do that with uh for my for like where I plan things because for the the sessions of Protein City that I plan, I will maybe tap into some of your clocks and storylines, but I also have my own that I want to track. Um, and so I think that we should talk about some of the ways that games we've played do that with mechanics that are designed for it. And then let's get into the ways that you do it with uh, mechanics that were not designed for that. Sounds great. I guess the first game that I wanted to... because this, so, so this is sort of a... Uh, a real quick just rundown of some games that we that we have played that we think have interesting mechanics for how you do this that are sort of inspirations for how you would take other things out. Yeah. Um, and and so last I mean, we talked about it during the Metatopia episode, but at Metatopia I got to play a little bit of Phil Vecchione of Encoded Designs Hydro Hackers, um, which is a uh, a, ha- a hackier hack of of um, a Powered by the Apocalypse game. And uh, it, it pulls a lot more of its influence from the sort of Blades in the Dark style. Uh, uh, there's a little bit more to it than than just like a, a character sheet with with moves on it. Um, there's now like a a whole licensing second. thing you can do for Blades in the Dark. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the way that Hydro Hackers does its its sort of threat story tracking is that it actually has a like blades in the dark it has a secondary playbook for the neighborhood that you your characters are hanging out in um and i didn't get to play that section of it but i my understanding is that basically the way it works is you have some some stuff that that like some statistics and some story elements about your neighborhood and that between sessions you roll these things and you roll some different moves and it tells you how things are changing and then points towards new story elements that are going to come up uh uh, between episodes or between sessions oh that's cool that that kind of sounds like it's taking the hard holders move of uh looking at what uh surpluses and shortages you have from your community and just kind of putting it onto a broader scale and getting really much more details with it yeah, my understanding is that it's a lot of that because so much of that game is kind of focused around um, you are a group of 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 um, I guess like vigilantes who are trying to protect and support a neighborhood, and so most of the stories that come out of that are more about just like things that are lacking in the neighborhood or things that break or invasions and stuff like okay. that. Um, and so having a system that does, that looks specifically at that neighborhood was interesting. And I kind of really want to get my hands on it because that sounds really cool. All right. So what I wanted to talk about was some of the rumor generation from urban shadows, uh, by Andrew Medeiros and Mark Diaz Truman of magpie games. Uh, urban shadows is one of my favorite games. I've talked about it a lot. I know, but it has a very cool mechanic that at the beginning of each session, you, create a rumor for every player in the game that ends up being spread around between the different factions of the game. So Urban Shadows is a highly faction-based urban fantasy game where you have all of the different groups kind of plotting against each other 
and the city really works best when it feels alive with lots and lots of plots going through it. So by having Mm -hmm. each player basically say to the GM, hey, here is a thing that interests me, you end up with every character having something interesting to follow. And if you don't follow it, well, that's okay. It was just a rumor. It maybe wasn't actually leading anywhere, or maybe it does. One of the things that I love about that is that it takes some of the responsibility of creating interesting like story threads to follow away from the GM, so not, that responsibility isn't totally on them. But it also says explicitly these are rumors these are not truths and yeah. so if you are going around the table and you've got and, and like that you are a player and you just have nothing um you can come up with something that's stupid you could come up with something that like like you're not there's no there's no you don't have to worry that this thing um, you're creating in this moment is like a, a lasting truth about the universe the way that say if you did a um uh, if you did a spout lore move in in dungeon yeah. world like you're creating truths about the universe yeah. and that is a lot of responsibility in the moment <laughs> and so i like that these are that these are rumors explicitly so they don't have to be true yeah, it's a very cool thing. Um, I think the only time that it kind of has to be true is if you roll that six minus, then you are enmeshed in the problem, whatever that problem uh, is. Oh, yeah, okay. Which makes it kind of a real thing. Although it could be that you are enmeshed in something related to it and to what the truth of the matter actually is. Yeah, or you believe this thing to be true, but it's, yeah. and, you're, and you're acting on it actively, but it's not. Yeah, like if That's you, almost funnier. That's that's pretty good, right? But yeah, you but you so it, it could mean that like you uh you might believe that there is a, a a group an organization of vampires and trying to encroach on a section of the city and they are totally not doing that. And so if you are going to go take actions to like prevent them or shut them down at whatever they're doing, then you're going to be actually starting a conflict b- based on the belief that that you're responding to something that didn't happen. Yeah, Which and, is hilarious and so urban urban fantasy. Well, yeah, I think what really makes it sing the best is that it is what urban fantasy is about. It's about groups of people that are like pushing against each other and unable to live in the same spaces together and all trying to survive. And then as soon as someone starts something, boom, everything else is going to fall in line and fall one after the other, after the other, after the other. Yeah. It also makes the world like it forces you to make tons and tons of NPCs and make the city feel like a bustling city, which is good and important. Definitely. So following that up, um, I also wanted to touch on Blades in the Dark by John Harper, which was published by Evil Hat Productions. And it takes a, an interestingly different approach. It, it takes a similar approach to Hydra Hackers, but it is a little bit different in that as you are doing things through the game, your 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 little like uh, thieving crew generates heat. And so that between sessions, you those heat the heat mechanic um generates fallout of things that ha- that have happened because like the police are paying more attention to you or you pissed off some other faction and there's this whole big faction chart um that like talks about all the different factions and how they feel about each other and uh you kind of track that and track the different things that happened and it, like i think you have to actually play out like little scenes here and there to follow up on those things um and it's more about the the influence and interaction that your thieving guild has had on the neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's a really cool system as well, because it really grounds you in the idea that you should be looking at your neighborhood for what is happening. 
Yeah. And it also, it builds into play a, uh, a mechanic for repercussions of actions. Yeah. Like you might be tasked with going to shut down some rival gang, but that might then like, but you've got to think about that. That's going to like a big gang war will, or a big, like a, like a hit on an arrival gang will attract police attention and it will leave a vacuum of power and it will piss off the suppliers who were making money and now they're not. And so like it, in a, in a way that a lot of, of kind of fantasy games gloss over the effects of your like murder hoboing, uh, <laughs> blades, the blades in the dark is very interested in, in that. Well, that also, they have that great system that it has like a hundred factions that you're adding and losing standing in relationship with. Yeah, it, I guess it benefits a lot from having a very defined world. Yeah, definitely. It's a little easier to show how the factions of the world are interacting with each other when you know exactly who they are because it's right there in the book. Yeah, as opposed to like Urban Shadows where they're giving you broad stroke factions but not telling you... Uh, like the name of this organization. Yeah. I mean like the night faction includes werewolves and vampires. So yeah, frequently those are not in stories getting along or maybe they are and they're making out. Monsters edition. No, that already exists. (laughs) Everyone has played (laughs) monster hearts. You know, I'm, you know, I'd be stealing that. Uh, so I also wanted to talk about masks um, part of the reason I want to talk about masks is that it has a very cool system, and part of the reason I wanted to talk about masks is that I ignored it completely. <laughs> yeah. So, continue yeah. in my reasons I need to apologize to Brendan Conway. Uh, mas- yeah, it kind of has explicitly a system for tracking like larger campaign play. It really does, and it's a good system, and I really ought to use it. And I might start baking a couple more pieces of it in. There's actually something that on a reread today caught my eye and made me go, Ooh, I like that a lot. So the way that masks works. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have introduced the game. Uh, masks is by Brennan Conway, uh, of magpie games. And it's a teenage superhero game. So the way it works is you have hooks and arcs. Hooks are NPCs that lead your character towards embodying a specific label, which is basically the stats of the game. So it's causing people to act in specific ways. And a hook is two different NPCs that pull a PC in two different directions. So if you have uh, Iron Man trying to get Spider-Man to be a superhero and maybe be a savior, and you've got Aunt May trying to convince Spider-Man to just be a normal kid and do his life, then that is two hooks that are both pulling on Spider-Man. Uh, and that can make systems where it makes it really easy to do PC, NPC, PC triangles, where maybe someone else works with Iron Man and he's more invested in making that character uh, be superior and really be thinking and putting their thought towards stuff. In any case, that is the first part of it. And then you have arcs. In arcs, you establish which NPCs are in the arc You choose kind of like a style of what the arc is that gives you access to some new GM moves. And then from there, as the plans start to come to fruition, you cross them off and move to a later phase. So in phase one, a character wants this goal, another character wants this goal, a villain wants this goal, and uh, Galactus is trying to do this thing with whatever. Uh, Once two of those have come to fruition, you cross it off, you move to the next phase, 
and you are using harsher GM moves and you're having plans that have larger effects. Once you get two of those, you cross them off, you go to stage three, same thing. It's harsher, it's harder. And then when you get two of those, you resolve that arc. That's a really cool system. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually, of all the systems we've talked about, it's the only one that really has... And a d- direct big picture thought process. Yeah. A lot of the others were more about how do I get from this adventure to the next set or from this session to the next session and what has happened in between. Yeah. And, and that, and this is a little bit more like what is going to happen between this ne- adventure and the next. And also going forward, where is this story going? It's really interesting because it in some ways challenges the idea that you can't plan things in PBTA games, mm-hmm. but I don't think that it goes at all against the play to find out what happens because the same plans are still going to be attempted and whatever happens happens. It could be that the plan is put into place and it doesn't work and that's okay. You still cross it out. You still move on to the next phase. And so that yeah. helps to really lead to big dramatic times and it tells you as the gm hey you're in phase three you can start hitting really hard you no longer need to wear any kid gloves the pcs have earned their way to this point and it's time to push back a little bit and then let them be amazing because that's what it is like having an opportunity to face down difficult adversity is what makes characters cool yeah so i'm thinking of taking some of that phase idea for some of my bigger plot lines and putting it into Brodian City. Um, it definitely is designed more towards having a specific story that you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. doing a Monster of the Week-style game wouldn't really work super well for this. Doing an overarching plot that's going to cover five or six games would work really well. So, I actually, the interesting thing is, so I didn't know that you were not actively using these... Uh the the arcs and stuff when when i started planning the adventure <laughs> of um Party and city that i ran yeah so i did i did use them a little bit and so oh, like cool. the interesting thing that i did was i so i knew i wanted to i had a rough idea of what i was trying to tell story-wise and yeah. that sort of matched up with the invasion style arc mm-hmm. um and so what i did was i didn't actually think about like because i was i knew i was only doing two issues of our podcast uh which was only one game session and so i kind of squeezed all three three phases into the same session but it gave me but because of the way we think about storytelling on that podcast it gave me a like okay i need to you start phase one set the board and then i want to end the first issue having just made my big move to invade the city okay and then and then the beginning of the second session is like following through on having made that move and then leading them into the end game of what happens once the the city's been invaded right and all and of so, those, none of those are things that it's like, I have to make the PCs do X. It's just, this is what the NPCs will do kind of left to their own devices. If they are going through with their plans, this is what those plans will be. Yeah. And it, and it let me think that, okay, I know that when like phase one of setting the board means I need to put these pieces into place. I don't yeah. know how I'm going to get there yet because we haven't started playing, but I know that those are the things I need to be working towards. And that then when I feel like the time is right, then I need to start phase two and make my big move, invade the city, show that happening, let the characters react and then start pushing them towards the end game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if you were doing that across maybe more than just one session, though, that would be cool. Yeah, I think it's something I'm going to try to do. There's a specific plot line 
that in the Protean City comics, uh, the appointed that I'm thinking could work really well with this kind of big characters having plans, crossing them off, moving phase to phase way. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk about now how you have actually been tracking the things that you started talking about in in that behind the scenes episode? Well, I sit down with a list of names and uh, (laughs) just kind of run it off the top of my head. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so awful that that was the advice that we gave, essentially. Like, it isn't fully... It, 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 that is not how you run a campaign. I mean, I guess you could. No. There are definitely people that could. And if we were playing certain games that I have an enormous amount of genre mastery for, I think I could do that. Um, yeah, I, and I think there's also... So, like, specifically with Protean City, we are trying to tell a compelling story. Yeah. But if you were just playing a game of masks and your group of characters was, like, the most interested in just exploring this world and exploring these characters then it might not matter if your if every session had a beginning middle and end and and had uh compelling story arcs because maybe for you the thing that's compelling is just sort of having these lower beat uh or lower tension character interaction episode or sessions yeah so for those you just have that char- that set of names and you just go and play to find out and if what you find out is that there wasn't a story like a big like dramatic story here then that could be fine yeah but for but for us it's not ideal that uh that old D standby of we had a great session nobody even touched the dice mm-hmm. makes me a crazy person it I hate it every single time I hear it because what I hear from that is we were playing the wrong game. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay to have a session that you don't fight any monsters, but we had a great game. We didn't fight any monsters and we had a great game. We didn't touch any dice or engage any mechanics are two radically different things. And that just grah, that is a Brandon is crazy statement thing. Yeah. So what I do is definitely aimed towards it being a podcast and taking that really deeply in mind. But I think it also can work outside of a podcast thing. It just puts a little bit more pressure on the players. It may be a little excessive. It's maybe a little excessive if you're playing with just your core group. But what I've basically done is I've broken down how I intend to introduce story beats into about an hour and 15 minute chunks with the assumption that we're going to lose some time with flipping through pages and Mm -hmm. getting caught on things or somebody gets really confused and we have to explain something again. But basically the idea is I want every hour and 15 minutes to have rising action and a climax. It doesn't need to necessarily have like a full on denouement sort of situation because it, it might have the it might have an issue immediately following it. But I want to hit a big emotional point an hour and 15 minutes in every episode, which means that I basically have to structure the introduction of threats to help support that. It doesn't mean that I'm plotting out what is going to happen. Just I'm saying like once I hit 50 minutes in I'm starting to look at the clock and go okay we're looking for a big event to happen we're looking for a really great line to happen I'm gonna have to introduce a villain at this point I'm gonna have to make a harder move than I would normally be making at this point to really uh, drive things home 
so that's sort of like the structure of the game. And then that is just um, basically play session to play session. It doesn't go into the campaign method. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the campaign and keeping things kind of rolling and consistent, I have a document that is my clocks document. <laughs> and this is where I have gone off the rails. <laughs> I want yeah. to see this piece of paper someday. Someday I'll show you this piece. Of, maybe when, maybe when, kind of like the first series of uh, Protean City is done, I'll show you this because it is, oh, it's it's maddening to look at. So clocks are something that were introduced in Apocalypse World and have been involved in a bunch of different things, and we've talked about them also in sort of the world setting uh, episode as well. But what I've essentially done is taken every threat possibility villain organization (laughs) plot line that i've introduced and i've created a clock about it what do you mean by clock so uh, that's a very good question uh (laughs) so what a clock is is it's a device for telling time and okay in this thing what you do is you divide essentially a 12 a 12 dot you essentially divide a circle into twelfths and you decide when important things happen. Uh, so it might be that you've divided it so that it is actually quarters, that there's uh, an equal amount of time, quote-unquote, between the divisions, and an event or a change will happen in the environment at those times. Mm-hmm. A really easy way to look at this is in a dungeon. Uh, let's say that you are uh, battling against goblins that are throwing big heavy bombs that destroy stuff. Uh, At 12 o'clock when you start out, there's not really a whole lot of signs of destruction. Maybe as you're going through, you see an occasional collapsed tunnel. And so it would just have that. Like occasional collapsed tunnel, uh, you see some supports, you see that maybe some of the supports are a little rickety. It gives you some indications of things to say as the GM, as they interact with the environment. At 3 o'clock, you might have uh, bits of dirt and rubble start to fall down from the ceiling anytime there is an especially loud noise or anytime there is something that's kind of explosive. And you would mark that, that section from 12 to 4 when you're making a move. Uh, it's not every time you're making a move, but like one of the GM options for making a move is to advance a clock. So, like, your players are fighting against some goblins and, like, a big bomb is thrown and it explodes and you have, like, ooh, I guess I could I could uh, do a bunch of damage to a player or I could separate them or I could advance that clock. And then you just go advance the clock and then you describe how that has changed. I always like to throw this in because we talk about clocks uh, pretty freely. Um, but I think that th- so this is a, a mechanic that... I believe came out of Apocalypse World. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's the, they were, that was one of the first games that I saw using it. And, um, and that it is explicitly, I think a reference, I'm trying to look at the game right now to find it, but I'm pretty sure it is explicitly a reference to the, the, the bulletin of atomic scientists, uh, doomsday clock. And yeah. so that, that is the way that they have, have represented how close the world is to nuclear destruction. And the idea being that 
like when as you get to midnight that's when the the bombs all drop and the world is destroyed and so that the closer you are to that the higher the tension is and so if you're still in the like 10 or like 10 to 15 minutes into the hour time in that like that first chunk then like there's tension but it's not that high you're still in the sort of like clue finding discovering that there even is a clock phase yeah. and that when you get to like quarter of that's when everybody's got their guns drawn in the club and you're like in the middle of a standoff and it's about to go down. Yeah. For our, for our goblins, I'd probably put six o'clock. Like the goblins start to really mobilize into moving their little communities onto their carts and moving things out. And there's like rumbling and smoke coming up from underneath at nine o'clock. Uh, you start to hear the roars of the dragon that is below, and it starts to rip through sections of the earth, causing massive uh, tunnel collapses and things like that. Um, at maybe 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, the dragon fully shows itself, and you're deeply involved in fighting it as it bursts through stone and destroys everything around it. And at 12 o'clock, the entire tunnel structure collapses and everybody in it dies. Yeah. And so from a from a mechanical standpoint, a lot of what it's doing is getting you to think about what sort of in terms of like, if you know there's going to be a dragon, what are the things that advance this or what are the things that could happen in an adventure that would cause that that threat to become more real? Yeah. And that when it does advance, what is the real like the practical effect of that? And so that when you're doing stuff. And, and like I think it, it works really well for this sort of play to find out style where you know that there's a dragon, but you don't necessarily know how the adventurers are going to stumble onto it. Yeah. And so you just want to know what are like here are a big list of things that I think might happen that would push this threat forward. And then here's what's going to supposed to happen to change the world based off of that that chunk advance. And and so we, like as a GM, it lets you sit there looking down at a piece of paper with a whole bunch of triggers. Uh, and then as the players start to do those things, you trigger, you move the clock and then tell them what happens. Exactly. And having it written out ahead of time makes it so that you are paying attention and that you're not pulling your punches. It's very easy to get to nine o'clock and go, oh, nothing has actually changed. Um, I just kind of was making check marks on a piece of paper, but nothing happened. But if yeah. you plot it ahead of time, then you'll know, okay, this nine o'clock, nine o'clock should be serious. Things should be bad. And so mm -hmm. what I've done is basically taken things that would be plot lines in a comic book and made them into clocks of their own. So yeah. uh, one really easy example is uh, you're playing a character that is going to be eventually, he, he's the, the doomed. And so he's eventually going to die. Uh, if he's not able to confront his doom and stop it ahead of time. And so what I've done is I've put together a clock that has essentially when you advance that and what happens in the world, what happens with that uh, other character, that godlike character, mm -hmm. when you hit those different points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's how you can kind of use it on a, on a larger scale. Yeah. You can say when these events that are not necessarily all going to happen in this session, when they happen across a, a series of sessions, that's when it'll trigger the clock to move forward and that this will then occur in the next session. So, like, if you know that I've hit my fourth doom sign, well, that means that 
this thing that like we've if I've hit four out of five doom signs, then we're probably getting to about uh, nine o'clock. And so you are <laughs> ten, starting to ten think, o'clock, eleven o'clock, ten four o'clock, out of five. You're you're and up so, there. And so you know that when those when we're at that hour on the clock, these things are supposed to be happening in the world. So even if you have a story or you're planning on having telling a different story for the next session that you should be trying to consider that, okay, well, maybe this thing is happening in the background or that this thing, this plot line with my doomed character should interrupt and make trouble of our other plan to do something else in the next session. Yeah. And the thing that I really love about clocks is that you can make them as kind of light, you can really structure them the way you want the story to structure. It tells you exactly how your story's shape is going to be. If you make it so it has a whole bunch of uh, sections in it, then it's going to be a slow burn thing that happens slowly. If you make it so that it has most of its sections in the early times and then really big sections towards the end, it's going to make it so that things slowly start to ramp up and then suddenly it just hits the fan and you're in big trouble or you could have something that stays in the bad times for a long time it has one you start at 12 it has one at six it has one at nine and then the rest are 10 11 and then 12 again and that means yeah, from nine to 12 of, things are terrible and one of the things that we talked a little bit about prior to the recording of this episode is how i like that it um it helps you get that serendipity of multiple things happening at the same time yeah and like an, an example that i could give would be um so you maybe you have a a, a story clock set up for the characters of our protean city team um interacting with falcon and 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 so that maybe in that first chunk where like we're still just trying to figure out what our relationship with them is uh they might be setting up an uh, an event where we can fight with them them and all their resources against a big foe to like, kind of look cool and feel good about ourselves um and so that you know, okay, well, that's a thing I should probably like offer them in the next session. But also, maybe James has checked off, and we are at nine o'clock or ten o'clock on his his tr- his clock. So whatever they do in the next session, the the trickster god, like the thing that's going to bring his doom, should probably show up. Yeah. So this thing that was an er- so then we have this that you can sit down and look and go, okay, well this is probably what needs to happen in the next adventure, and I'll push my story to that. And so then what beca- what starts off as a early clock storyline from. Um, for our Falcon interactions then gets interrupted by this like late uh, storyline clock event from a different clock. And the way those interact with each other can be interesting. Yeah. It also really encourages you to focus in on the plots that are at their most advanced while continuing to advance low level plots. Mm -hmm. So like if something is at 10 or 11 o'clock, it's more or less not something you can ignore anymore. And if you do ignore yeah. it, then it's going to get worse. Like it'll be rearing its head. If you are at, at if I make a slot that is 11 o'clock, everybody in the city is affected by it. And every PC is affected by it. And next session, we are tackling that issue, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that the other thing it does, especially the way that you do it, having all these clocks laid out on a page of a page of paper somewhere. Yeah. Um, is I think that you could easily fall in, like, especially with, um, for example, the Urban Shadows rumors system. Yeah. It could be very easy for you to say, 
explore one story thread following one rumor in a session and then the next one and the next session follow a different story thread yeah and by having all these clocks that are saying uh here are the four things that are at 11 o'clock you cannot ignore them now it means that you as a gm have to sit and think about how you are going to incorporate all of these things not one at a time but all at the same time yeah and 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 because the players know that these things are happening then they should be thinking okay well like if if we are about to hit a climax like we know we did something real big to piss off off the this character last time and so that's going to come back to bite us so we should probably figure out what's going on with this storyline now so those things don't hit at the same time exactly and there's and a then, real good possibility that they will if yeah. you have a situation like if you have a situation that there's going to be an alien invasion and one of the options is getting that at 11 o'clock and there's also a situation where an evil undead dragon is going to burst from underneath the sewage lines and that has gotten to 11 o'clock that doesn't mean that i'm going to separate both of those and do two big episodes one about each it means the negative effects of both are happening at the same time there Mm, are major issues feel big and real yeah uh that's that's my hope with it at least (laughs) yeah and it also it gives you the ability to say um, as the players to say, okay, so like these things are happening. Oh God, the giant dragon like just rose undead from the sewers, but also the skies are opening up with aliens. Um, can we trick this dragon into fighting these aliens? Yeah. <laughs> and that's a possibility. We'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe it will try to defend the city from the aliens for us. Yeah. And then we'll just deal with that later. Or maybe it means that the two big villains that we've been chasing or we've been running from all season are going to team up with each other to yeah. get us. Um, it also makes it really easy. It makes it really easy to, at a glance, see, hey, this is a plotline that's going to end soon, so we should hit a finale for it. There are probably four or five clocks on there that end the world, and there's probably another <laughs> four or five clocks on there that destroy Protean City, and there's two or three clocks on there that end with the death of a specific character, and so they're going to resolve at some point. They're not necessarily going to resolve by hitting 12 o'clock and having everyone die. And in that last segment, when I hit that last segment, it's kind of like jumping, it's kind of like finishing phase three in the standard masks way of running things. It's I now put everything in the middle and I say, okay, here, here it is. It's time to fight. It's time to do this thing. The other thing I'm just thinking about is that also because it, it because you are tracking with all these things the sort of the tension levels of what's going on in your game it and and this is again for a situation in which you are just running a game for your friends not necessarily for a podcast is that it does let you look down and go oh every single one of these clocks is at nine o'clock or later the last three sessions we've had have been very tense Maybe it's time to like pull back from these stories and just do something a little bit goofier and lighthearted so that our game isn't like chunk like set to 11 all the time. Absolutely. It also encourages you to actually finish a plot line Mm -hmm. because if things have gotten to nine o'clock and then you have like an enormous like let's say you've got I don't know a vampire lord starting stuff and like at three o'clock they took over a local library uh, secretly in the basement at six o'clock. They've built up their own coven, etc. 
if that gets to 10 o'clock and the players go, all right, we kill that vampire lord, that means you get to get rid of that clock. And then that Uh arc is done. And that's okay. It's okay to end an arc. You don't ever need to, you don't necessarily need to have, hey, uh, we are starting episode seven of Star Wars and Darth Vader is back because Darth Vader's the villain that we introduced. You know, like you can do new things and build new things. And it really encourages you to do that because once the clock is cut off, like once the events have been prevented from happening, then the events have been prevented from happening. Cool. The world doesn't end. Protean city survives and we can start a new clock when a new interesting villain comes along. Yeah. So one of the things that came out of all this and thinking about the way that you do that is that, um, I, the, the clock system is kind of in apocalypse world, at least is, uh, is used for damage systems, uh, yeah. like how much damage your characters take as well as I believe it's there to, to plan threats and stuff like that. Um, and so I started thinking about other damage systems, uh, that would be interesting as ways of tracking, uh, story elements and, and plots between things and the D and D HP system. You yeah. keep on having things happen until suddenly the entire world ends. It goes uh, from zero like, to dead. It's perfect. Yeah. I'm going to go with no. No? <laughs> um, but I was thinking about the fate system of stress. Okay. Uh, because it's sort of a similar, like, if 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 um, clocks are about how much tension has built up, that's sort of what stress is about, too. Um, and I'm going to blatantly misuse how you actually mark off uh, stress boxes <laughs> in, in fate. Because okay. I, I think that it's more interesting to do it just like every... T- so basically, you would, what you would do is you could... And, and so it's sort of a... This will end up being sort of a cross between the uh pro- the like the character progression system in okay. masks and the stress system in fate um with the idea being that you have some kind of, so like for every threat thing or storyline element that you are are uh, moving forward with you would create a stress bar okay. which ha- would have a certain number of um of of squares that you would check off depending on like is this a thing that's gonna like kind of pull together really quickly is this a single session um, element is this a campaign arc thing that we're talking about and then what you do is you sort of set up in the same way that you say what moves these things or the clock forward is that you would ask things like what checks off, which causes me to check off uh, a stress box. And like the best example of that is actually just literally like how the doomed character works, uh, which is that you sit down and you ask at the end of every session, did I confront the, the, the villain? Um, and if yes, then I mark progression. And if no, then I mark off my doom track. And so you okay. can do a, sa- a similar thing. Like, did the main characters uh, or did the characters uh, directly engage with solving the problem of the oncoming plague into okay. the, 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 the fantasy city? Uh, and if they did, then maybe don't do anything. But if they didn't, then check off the next stress box. And then rather than having... Yeah. And so that the idea being then that when the stress box or the stress bar fills up entirely, that's when your your uh, your story kind of comes to to fruition 
and everything are sort of climaxes in the, in that story um, with and then the way that it could work differently and would give you as a GM a little bit more flexibility um, if that's what you're looking for is that what you could do is have a condition system like the way that <laughs> characters have okay. so like in fate characters have conditions and what that means is that they have like they have two box conditions and three box conditions and they let it lets them buy off stress that they've marked down um, okay and so you can say oh, i've just took i have i have three stress boxes filled up and i've got five so i can't take another three stress hit so i've got to take a at least a one stress condition to re- or a, at least a two stress condition to remove this hit uh, enough that I can still like fill in boxes without ending my character. Right. Like, so you as the GM would almost get to play kind of a, a cooperative role in the background to the players where you're saying, okay, well this story is getting close, but it's not quite right for my, for the way or this, 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 um, calamity this this story yeah this story thread this calamity is coming to to the end of its stress box but it's not right for the way that we're telling our story so let's take a let's take a condition and what does that mean maybe maybe it means that like i get to i get to cross i get to erase three or four boxes of stress but it means that the local tavern keeper died of the plague. And so right. that character who was an ally is no longer in the picture. And that you could either set those up in advance or um, come Make up them with them as hawk. they are relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you would probably want to do the same thing where in fate you have a limited number of each uh, consequence that you can take. Okay. And so you have, yeah, in, in fate you have three consequence slots. Um, uh, um, a mild, moderate, and a severe. And so treating it kind of like damage or like a progression track, really, with yeah. some ways that you that you get to reduce how far along on the track you've gone. But those those ways that you as the GM reduce the, the sort of the stress of the scenario um, causes lasting effects on the world in this in the form of 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 uh, conditions yeah that will affect other plot lines that's really cool there's also something with those conditions being able to be invoked right uh yeah so those then become aspects on the character until you've dealt with them and so you could say uh because uh the oh so like here about like as to continue with my my like rats and plague analogy or story (laughs) Um, if, if the GM, if the GM says that we're like, there's this oncoming plague and they're, and they're trying to keep it out of the city. Um, and, and it's, we're getting to the end the GM wants to use one of the conditions or to mark a condition instead to, to prevent the, the track from advancing further. They could say, we are going to take a mild condition and the, the shipyards are going to burn down because the police that are there trying to stop the, the, uh, the, the spread of the plague burned the building to kill the rats and keep the plague out. But right. now we have a condition on the city that says like our port burned down. So if you were counting on shipments coming in to solve some other problem, well, guess what? That's not going to happen now. Yeah. You don't have, and you don't have a, uh, you don't have a port. And so you have to do something to, to prevent that or to remove that condition by building a new port or, 
or whatever to deal with the issue um, that now will affect other storylines. And so as you as as the the, the different stress tracks for different storylines fill up, the GM can tick off and take consequences um, to reduce those story tracks to kind of uh, push the story in the direction they're interested in taking it for whatever makes sense, but also create these story elements that happen as you take more conditions. Right. Things that continue to progress and continue to make the entire situation more stressful and interesting. Yeah. That's very cool. That's really interesting. I'm into that. Yeah. And maybe what you would almost want to do for certain bigger story arcs would be say to say that in this moment, take sort of set them up in advance like a clock where you would say set them up and at this moment you have to take this condition and it's going to reduce the stress track by this much um or something like that or like have have maybe do like a hybrid system where in this moment this event is going to happen but also you have these these tools of the conditions to determine help a little bit of like when that's going to happen yeah definitely that's interesting. That's a, that's a way that I wouldn't have thought about it, but it kind of gives it. Yeah, it's not too far off, but it gives the GM a little bit of a, a tool to sort of tweak when the story happens. Yeah, and yeah. to create these story elements that are take take conditions to push back a story from coming to fruition, but also make other things harder for the players, and again, like make the world feel lived in as these things interact with each other. Especially if you made those stress, especially if you made those stress tracks a little bit public, mm-hmm. you could kind of give the idea, give that feeling of like things are getting much worse. These are consequences and conditions that you are taking. You could even make it to the players are picking the consequences. Yeah, uh, that's give a, them that a little a list I of consequence about. possibilities and say like, "Hey, you're going to need to pick one of these." Yeah, or here they are. Um you decide mm. and if you want if you don't want to you take any of these consequences and you want all of these stre- these three stress tracks to, uh to like come together at the same time and you want to hope and prayer that <laughs> pray that maybe you can convince the the vampire lord to fight the dragon while like everyone's got the plague then like good for you guys <laughs> have fun uh, i guess yeah have fun oh i like that having that is kind of like a public facing thing yeah I think the I think clocks that, can't be public facing because no. they hold some secrets, but the stress and the consequences possibly could be, especially yeah. if you don't let them know what happens when the stress track fully fills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also because I think that the stress, I think the stress track idea works a little better for plots that are more open, like like if the players know that for a fact a, a a vampire lord is trying to take over a chunk of the city or they know for a fact that there's a plague spreading near toward the city then those are things that they can sort of interact with and that everybody is aware of if yeah. they're stumbling their way through a dungeon and they don't know there's a dragon well then it makes more sense for that to be a hidden clock yeah definitely so um we have in the examples that we gave the Hydro Hackers and Blades in the Dark systems are definitely much more in, engaged in the idea of what's happening between settings and how does the world change based off of the actions that the characters are taking, are playing. Or the right. char- 
based off of the, the the actions the players take. Whereas the Urban Shadows rumors system and to, and more really the masks arc system helps you build out longer term things that are that will come back up during every session, but are going to maybe take multiple sessions. It's taking the bigger picture, the long, the long view of the timeline. And so the, the way that you are doing clocks thinks about a little bit more about larger plot lines and, and this, and really the same thing with the stress system I thought I thought about. So how do you take your clock system and make sure that it is not sort of just a, like a flash in the pan. Um, like it, when this clock hits this time, this character does this thing. But then after that event happens, we're basically back oh. to the norm. How do you, how do you make sure that it has a lasting effect on the world? Yeah. So I think that it has to make sure that it isn't single actions. Mm-hmm. So you're not saying at this point, the vampire kills the mayor because yeah, the vampire kills the mayor, and then what happens? Like, does that mean... Like, what does that mean in some ways? And part of that is that for each of the clocks, I'm not just having sort of a single sentence of what it is, but having a couple of points in, like, sort of, like, the way that the world changes. Mm -hmm. If werewolves are going to take over a specific neighborhood, that doesn't make it so that there's a single fight, and then we kind of just are like, all right, now things are back to normal, except now there's werewolves there. It should also be saying that this is going to change how the supply, how magical supplies that go through this area are now being set up, or it might change how the uh, relations of different peoples in that area are affected by that. It might make it so that some people are now welcome there and some people aren't. And all of those are great things to put directly on your clock. Because Mm -hmm. while you're sitting at the table, balancing three different clocks that all have come up during this one session, you don't want to be asking the question, okay, but what does that mean? What does it mean that this artifact has gotten into the hands of this wizard? Oh, what it means is now your city is in perpetual blackness because the sun has been completely blotted out. And what does that mean? That means that all of the the plants are dying. That means that the streets are filled with these dark vampire emperors that are just rolling in. Yeah. Something that I was thinking about is that for maybe not for the character storyline, like the character threat storyline threats, um, but for the, like the, the larger world storylines that you're, you're, you're clocking um, saying, talking about how they relate to each other a little bit might be useful. And so like something as simple as the werewolves are trying to take over this chunk of the city and that if they do, they are then going to control that chunk of the city. So that like, so like you said that the, when they roll in, if they do that at that time, they now control it that uh, everything that's in that region and so specifically saying and like the vampire that they that the players have been trying to have diplomatic negotiations with he lives in that chunk of the city so yeah. now if the players want to keep having diplomatic negotiations well they better stay on good terms with these werewolves yeah or else they can't get to the vampire yeah like the last thing that you want to do is have a clock that puts a dark spirit fog through your city that if you touch it, it sucks out your soul and then forget that for two sessions. Yeah. And have people just like calmly going through the city and like, Oh look, it's 
it's a bright, sunny day out, and everything's fine. And then, like, two sessions later, you're going, and the dark spirit fog drags the soul <laughs> out of the... Like, that doesn't make any sense. You can't yeah. intersperse that every couple of episodes. If the werewolves... If the werewolves take over a chunk of the city and then that doesn't change anything, well, then what was the whole point of that story? Yeah. And like, it might be that you don't have you. It might be that you have two or three sessions that you aren't interacting directly with those werewolves, but like it has to do something because otherwise you've forgotten about it. And otherwise the clock doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. Because if, if you hit nine o'clock and or if you hit six o'clock is a better example. If you hit six o'clock and the werewolves and like, that's the time where the werewolves move into the city because you're trying to make the, you're trying to ramp up the tension of the, of that storyline, but then that doesn't actually affect anything in the city. Well, then it didn't actually ramp up the the tension in the storyline. So that was maybe the wrong time for that to happen. I kind of view it like Zelda Majora's mask that you have this countdown of what's happening and like the moon is getting bigger day to day because the moon is going to smash into Hyrule and destroy everything Mm -hmm. and you start out and you like play through the same three days over and over again Uh, but in any case when you have that dawn of the first day that's going like oh you're at six o'clock there's kind of there's a there's a threat of the moon when you hit like you know dawn of the third day then you're at eleven o'clock Things are getting really, really bad, and things should all feel really, really bad. And every time that you're in a fight and you look up and you see where that the moon's enormous, glaring, angry face mm-hmm. is just in is just huge on the skyline. You can hardly see the skyline. That should feel relevant. So if you've hit eleven o'clock on your plotline and Galactus is here to eat the world, you don't want it to be like you can see Galactus. Galactus's face and then you go ahead and you hand in your essay for English class and oh that girl that you've had a crush on is over there and she's talking with your best friend like that doesn't make any sense uh and it might Uh be that some of those smaller plot lines are still happening and they should keep happening it should be a moment that you're looking over the quad and you're seeing your crush and also Galactus's Galactus's face is there and you got to deal with that because if you don't deal with that, then it doesn't matter whether you bring a line of poetry that's super impressive. What matters is that everyone that you care about is dead. Uh, I was thinking that you definitely have to you have to deal with that. Because if you don't deal with that, uh, then someone else is going to get the, the, your crush. And Galactus can wait. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, like, it could be that... Galactus being there is making everybody just like a little bit more willing to chase their dreams and find the people that they care about and the people that they love. But that's also why the clocks are really good because then you have that little reminder of like, oh, you know what? Yeah. While, while Squirrel Girl is fighting Galactus, maybe some bad things can happen at home. That'll be a delight for her to come back to. Galactus was the friends we made along the way. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely but, that's the moral yeah. of this episode. <laughs> but I, but I think I think you're right. It's, it is a, the clocks are about uh, the the thing you said about how when a clock hits eleven o'clock, that's no longer something you can ignore. Means that 
I think that that is the right way to think about it and to look at those clocks and say the ones that are the higher tension are the ones that are demanding your attention. Yeah. And that that doesn't mean that the lower tier ones are stopping. But like if you have a, a story clock about how the the main character, like the Janice's crush is doing falling into something, another relationship with someone else like they're going to want to deal with that. But the big adventure where or but the bit the clock that is telling you that it's 11 o'clock and Galactus is here, that's going to happen now. And it sucks that it's happening during the same time period where the prom is about to happen and we're about to move the, the crush threat clock from one to two o'clock. But that's like the way you've got to think about it. And I mean, on the other hand of things, you can also have the Galactus hit 11 and also Mary Jane falls it's in love with Flash. With Galactus. No, <laughs> like falls in you, love with Galactus. You could you could have a clock that is leading up to Mary Jane going to prom with Flash, but <laughs> not the Flash. Flash also from yeah, Spider Man. No, no, no. I'm not screwing up my Marvel stuff. And, Don't and at also, me. And also not Flash. Galactus. Yeah, <laughs> he's here. He's super powerful. That's very <laughs> and attractive. He to loves Mary Jane. Mary Jane. <laughs> uh, okay, no, let's get through this line. <laughs> Um, no, I'm including this. Yeah, I know you're going to. There's no avoiding that. Um, but like if you have if you're at 11 o'clock for both of those, then that just means both of those can happen. Like one of those is going to end up happening because it's OK to hit 12 o'clock and mm-hmm. have the terrible event occur. And that finishes out that clock. It probably makes a forever changed world. Like mm-hmm. if Galactus eats Earth, then guess what? The yeah. story can continue. You just might yeah. need to pick up some new characters that aren't Earthlings, or it could be that your characters are getting off Earth at the last moment. But Galactus eating Earth is an event that happens. And, and I think maybe that, at the same time, Mary Jane falls in love with Flash and they go to the prom together. And I think that having that that thought, thinking out what happens when this is done is important too. Um, so that you know, like that's another like not uh, another tip would be to not ignore 12 o'clock when you're setting up your when what happens yeah. at every clock chunk yeah because you don't want to ramp up ramp up ramp up ramp up and galactus is here and i guess something happens yeah or even just like a i didn't plan for what happens when he wins yeah or what if when, what if the players what, lose what if the players lose i didn't think about that i expected them to win but yeah. they rolled terribly so maybe now they've won or they've lost what happens or i didn't expect them to win so what happens and it could just be that you have to now do like an age of apocalypse plot line that things are terrible and that's mm-hmm. okay and then you just push them towards going back in time and you make a new clock about uh i don't know time wizards that if they mess things up with the time wizard, then they'll end up back in time as uh, as mice. And then they've got to deal with cats. And that's how yeah. I write games. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned to Protean City. Everyone is mice. Oh, well. It was bound to happen eventually. Yeah, ten of my clocks do end with everyone is mice. So five, the end of the world. Three, the end of Protean City. Two, the end of the universe. Ten, everyone is mice. <laughs> All right. I think with that, we've hit the end of our episode. Yep. So 
if you want to get in touch with us and talk about uh, clocks or how we how we plan uh, campaigns and storylines and all the stuff we talked about in this episode, then go ahead and reach out to us on Twitter where I uh, where we are together at Stop Hack and Roll or I am individually at End the Meltdowns. And I'm at Dr. Captain Cobalt. You can find all of our episodes, links to some of the games we've been working on, and a radically underserved website at www.stophackandroll.com. Uh, you can email us, if that's your thing, at either James or Brandon at stophackandroll.com. We are also, I'm also on Google+, and I'm trying to be a little bit more present there. So if you want to start some chats with me, I'm Brandon Leon Gambetta over there. Yep, I'm... You can also... I'm oh, there. Sorry, go I'm there too, but I don't remember what my username is. I haven't used it since 2005. So, <laughs> when, when we thought that Google Plus was going to replace Facebook for that little brief flash in the pan moment, where we all had a bunch of carefully taking care of circles. Yep. Uh, you can also rate and review our podcast on iTunes to help others find the show. It's a great way for people to find it. We just come up a little bit higher each time we get a five star rating. And we've started to get some, and it's been really nice. It just also gives us a lot of energy for the show. Yeah. Uh, we make this podcast with the support of Patreon backers. Backers like Declan Chadbourne, Michael Bowman, DeFool Dude with a PH, uh, V Brower, Alice Tobin, Chad Owen, Blake Ryan, Anthony Nomorosa, Troy Pitchelman, Nora Blake, Jimmy Rogers, Richard Chris Landry, uh, Riverhouse Games, Randy Lubin, Robert Kosick, Rob Abrazado, Rob Harvey, I'm sure there must be more Robs. Uh, We've really got our core demographic down. Yep. It is Robs. Gamers Uh, named Rob. Yeah. So if you are a gamer named Rob or a gamer not named Rob and you'd like to help support the show and future shows, check us out at patreon.com slash stop hack and roll. Um, or if you have a friend named Rob who you know is a gamer, yeah. invite them to join our community because that is really the biggest thing that we want uh, to be able to talk to you uh, and get your feedback and, and and build the best podcast for you guys that we can. And the best way to do that in, in a sort of real time kind of way is to join our Discord, uh, which you can access at tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stophackandroll.com. So as you're wandering the endless cavernous hallways of your Dracula's castle that balances on the edge of a cliff, looking out over the head of Galactus for some reason, adjusting each of the clocks one by one by one, ticking around you, tick, 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 tick. Don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. Like if you were going, hey, the world is round, and then you rolled that six minus, you'd be like part of this round earther society that doesn't believe the truth and how the world is shaped. I'm not even going to touch that.